Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I was young at that time, but I was in tears because not that I lost the money because I leveraged my parents' home to borrow that money to invest in the wrong asset class and and lost it all. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Alan Chan, Director of Zenergy Finance to find out how he landed a job at the top four banks straight after university. The moment using his parents' home as leverage for investing turned into a disaster, how it turned it all around with his first investment and so much more. A director of Zenergy Finance, Alan Chan describes what his job consists of and how long he's been in his industry for. We're mortgage brokers, uh, got a good team of six mortgage brokers and a few uh, supporting staff. Uh, been doing that for six and a half years and before that, I was working in one of the big four banks. Uh, and um, yeah, it's been a, ever since I was a graduate from university, I've always been in uh, home lending, interesting enough. So I've been at that for over 10 years. So um, Maybe still young, uh, but uh, you know, learned a lot of things along the way. With the knowledge that so many people need assistance when it comes to buying their first home, much of Chan's day revolves around helping clients achieve just that. We fulfilled the dream of home ownership for clients looking for their first home, uh, raise the financial intelligence when it comes to property investing. So whether it's buying your first investment property or uh, accrue a portfolio of properties. Um, structuring as well, I guess, um, explaining to clients um, what's the best mortgage structure to, to help them maximize their taxation. Um, I don't do that myself, of course. Uh, you've got to speak to your accountant. Um, but um, yeah, and also different structures. So we can uh, you know, lend money in a trust, family trust specific, uh, self-managed super funds um, to buy residential, commercial. That's probably a typical day at Synergy or uh, most of the guys. Uh, and some some of the brokers are more specialised in certain areas, um, but we look after lending, uh, which I guess uh, cash is what makes the go, world go round, isn't it? Migrating to Australia back in 1991, Chan grew up in Sydney's West, initially studying something completely unrelated to the field of finance and property. I was born in Hong Kong. Uh, came to Australia when I was in 1991. Uh, we grew up in the suburb of Parramatta, which is in Sydney's west, uh, and funny enough, studied in a high school which was Newtown Performing Arts School, uh, so audition uh, in, with the instrument of flute, and then at the same time, um, studied my six years, funny enough, uh, instead of going into conservatorium, which usually most of the students end up, 
I, uh, I, I did a degree in mathematics and finance at the uh, University of Technology, Sydney. Um, and then I was very blessed in, um, in getting a graduate program in one of the big four banks. And that's where my career started uh, in 2005, I guess. With such a drastic change in his area of study, Chan explains what compelled him to go into a different career path. I think, uh, you know, one of the reasons is, you know, my, my family didn't grow up very rich and also uh, leads to my, you know, property investment journey. So, um, obviously, we, when we were young, we had, you know, my parents would have challenges with money or usually argue about it. So, one of my things when I was growing up is like, look, um, I need to learn how the rich do it, right? And what better way to do it uh, than, you know, going to the bank. Uh, and I had aspirations working very specifically in private bank which is looking after top 1% of banks' clients, so which I was able to do that in my career, fortunate enough. Um, and I'm going to share some tips there as well and that I learned from the rich and hopefully listeners today can, can get some value out of it. Going back a little further, he adds to this by explaining what he believes were the key factors in his childhood that pushed him to pursue finance. One of the key things being uh, growing up, you know, Asian background, like, you know, there's that stigma with music that, hey, it's not that stable and then, you know, as a career, right? So I was thinking like, obviously, um, you know, what is something that, you know, I can provide for the family as well, right? So uh, it's obviously leading to more the academic, you can always get a job and, and do your music. But, you know, if you were to do music and be the best of the best, uh, is it going to be that financially uh, sustainable? Uh, that's the question that I always had in my mind. Uh, but lucky enough, made that choice. And look, I'm still doing music, right, uh, as a hobby or casually. Um, but, you know, having the finances and, and the income to, to back it up. So, you know, uh, overall, since the beginning age, I guess that was a wise decision, right, um, you know, in, in going into a more career path and investing, I guess. He also explains the circumstances that led to his choice to study a degree in mathematics rather than one in commerce or more narrowly, finance. Well, funny enough, that's the mark that the course that I could get in oh. <laughs> with, the, with the HSC mark at that time, even though I aspire to you know, do accounting at that time. However, having said that, I think the mathematics part gave me a, a bit more um, you know, the philosophy around solving problems that's one and and secondly uh by the end of the day in finance you've got to know your numbers or in business which was uh you know if i look back uh to some of the successes now it's probably knowing your numbers from a very early early stage which is important in business right attempting to gain as much experience as he could while at university chan shared that while he was getting educated he was also working various jobs at the same time it's um, doing different jobs. I was unloading containers, right? So uh, as a, a storeman, I was uh, in Amer- American Express on the call center. So I virtually picked up anything uh, that I can uh, get experience on at the same time, you know, fulfilling my studies or, or the bachelor degree. So I think that's what's the basis uh, uh, in getting to a graduate program. Uh, but also a philosophy in my investing as well to to give things a try and 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 you know get ex- as much experience as I can. It was after he graduated from the university that he was actually able to land a position at one of the top tier banks' graduate programs and gain experience that he states taught quite a lot when it came to banking. It was a few interviews before uh, ending up in the graduate program. 
And uh, starting in the first year, it was in the retail bank, so going into different divisions, uh, you know, from the bank's call centers all the way to document preparation, all the way to the front end, which is the sales side. Um, in to be honest, like one year was pretty long, uh, and we because we're not getting into the <laughs> job itself, we found it a bit boring. So, but I always aspired at that time, like I said, you know, wanting to look for jobs and get into the private banking sector um, after that one year, which I eventually got. So that was the experience in the twelve months, um, but um, learned a bit. But you know, until you do things, uh, it's very different to you know watching someone do it, if that makes sense. But when did he actually move into a full-time career and furthermore into the area he wanted? It was a 12-month program and during that time, uh, there was no promise of getting a job. So, it's always going into uh, the, the bank's uh, intranet or the job uh, search to see what's the next uh, job that comes around. But I was very specific and I knew in my head what I wanted. And again, like I said, in the private banking sector, which is the top 1%. So, um yeah, did an interview, uh, I, you know, and then got the role. Uh, so I was very fortunate. Uh, but that was the, the ground basis where I learned the bank systems and everything in the in the three months where that's why I thought the graduate program 12 months. I didn't, we learned a bit, but I think we learned the bank system when I was thrown in the deep end and actually doing things, which is uh, the same thing in uh, property, isn't it? Until you do it. That's where you really go, oh, I understand this, isn't it? Mm, so true, so true. So, was it with the same bank or did you have to change banks to go into um, that same particular yeah. career? It was the same bank. Yeah. So, I've been in the same bank uh, for that. I mean, obviously, graduate program, private banking for the whole uh, six and a half, seven years until I ventured my into my own business, which is the mortgage brokering business now. Talking more about what inspired him to kickstart his own mortgage broking business, Chan talks about when he knew it was time to move out a full-time career. I guess one of the key things uh, I've been into other departments like you know the brokering uh, side of the bank and as a team leader, um, and at that time it didn't hit me until I was a mobile banker for the bank and realized wow, the banks do make a bit of money on their mortgages, right? Which was the last a year and a half of my career as a mobile lender. Uh, which gave me the confidence um, to, to step out. And at that time, I guess it's good timing. That's when the property prices, uh, there's a demand on property, um, probably, uh, what, six and a half years ago, which is probably your early 2013, uh, 14s. So that that was, I guess, right timing to, to get out of the bank and, and start my own ventures. Yeah. And because you're in mobile banking for that period, you kind of have a lot more flexibility. Is that correct to say too? Yeah, um, definitely. I, I built it from scratch, so no clients at all, and then to a, you know, uh, a lot of clients with interviews, appointments, and obviously built that relationship. And always believed that um, you know they they bank with the person, uh, which is myself, rather than the bank itself, which is one product. So I'm very glad in terms of transitioning to mortgage brokering as well, because it offers uh, the clients a lot more choice and not you know tier to one particular product. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Alan Chan's journey and where and how he bought his first investment. That's where I invested in St. Kilda, which was, uh, you know, a unit. The interesting asset class he decided to go into at first. The interesting story was I didn't invest in property. So, I used that equity to actually um, buy options, which was a risky product. 
The important lesson he learned from his worst investing moment. Once you lose money, then you, you learn not to go into that asset class because there's no get rich scheme and you got to build it. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Delving into his property investing journey, Chen shares that it was by building on what he learned during this time in the bank that he was able to gain the courage to make that first purchase. Grew up not not being rich, and uh, you know, uh, finally got into private banks. So, so excited to see you know how the rich people do it, right? You know, um, are they buying properties? And and one key thing uh, that I learned is that it's it's not how much money you make. It's uh, how you manage your money. And that was the key lesson that I took from private banking because I had a section of private bank which was uh, solicitors, um, but on their assets and liabilities, they may not show much. Uh, they're willing to get into a private bank because of you know uh, family relations and so forth. But you know every week I, I noticed that I had to extend their you know overdraft facility or the line of credits at that time. Uh, so then I realized, oh, how come these guys are not doing so well compared to the other section of the private bank, um, the solicitors that bought property or actually you know structured it correctly? Then I see how do they actually buy one you know every year? So. Again, it's not how much you make, it's how you manage your money. So that was a key thing. And that's in 2007 where I you know, got courage to actually start my investment journey. So, and funny enough, uh, I did uh, convince my parents to access their equity. So I didn't build up a bit of savings um, because the, the home that we were living in had a bit of equity that with my banking knowledge, I could leverage. And that's where I first started um, accessing OPM or other people's money or another term I put in there, OPE, other people's equity. Talking about some of the clients he had, Chan explains how they're able to manage their money and purchase multiple properties every year. Well, I think one of the lessons uh, that I got from them is that these people are savvy with their money, which ties into, you know, my mathematics degree, you know, knowing the numbers, right? So in today's terms, probably budgeting. Right, these people had excess, you know, cash on a monthly basis. Whether they're saved, uh, well, firstly, you've got to get into your first property, uh, and subsequently, if you're paying it down, um, you build a thing called equity, uh, which uh, I'm sure you in your podcast would have explained to the viewers or listeners. Uh, but then, at the same time, uh, as the equity builds up, then they can uh, with their uh, salary or or borrowing power, they can go again and, and leverage uh, to get into another one. So, which fascinated me. So, I kind of like studied them. And, and then, in fact, one of the private clients, which I still talk to, is like one of my mentors. Having learned so much from others, Chan shares how many properties he currently has in his portfolio. I have 10 properties currently. And why he considers his initial decision to invest in options to be his worst investing moment. Well, let's start with the beginning because I, I mentioned I leveraged my parents' uh, property, but an interesting story was I didn't invest in property. So I used that equity to actually um, buy options, which was a risky product, uh, you know, six figures worth as well. Uh, and I was uh, trading uh, what they call these naked options uh, in the US market, funny enough. So, and I remember the date that. Um, you know, uh, I was investing in a company that started the GFC, writing naked puts, 
Uh, and on, it's a it's a really amazing story, which I still know the date on the 16th of February, because that's when the options market in the US closed. Um, the share price needed to you know close at a certain time, a uh, certain price, and unfortunately it closed uh, you know a bit below. And what that meant is that you know because I was highly leveraged, you know six figures of US money at that time was disappeared in in one overnight, and uh, and. I know I lost that money. I was young at that time, but I was in tears because not that I lost the money because I leveraged my parents' home to, to borrow that money to invest in the wrong asset class and, and lost it all. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. so what do I say to my parents? Explaining what it is and why the high risk attracted him to invest into it, Chan elaborates on what an option actually is. I didn't understand that much. <laughs> that's probably the, that's the number one. But secondly, I think the, the ironic thing is that we all attracted into high returns without knowing the risk. I think that's what you alluded me. It's like, oh, you know, I'm actually seeing my parents' money. I've got to do it as quickly as I can. Um, then there was a vehicle that was returning high returns. Like It was like anywhere double digits per month. So it's 10% by, you know, writing these options or lending it out, right? Um, so it's a derivatives and what that means is just say um, not buying the share or the property itself is just basically betting, right, that the price will go. So that's probably a, a brief overview of, uh, you know, options market because I don't have enough. Uh, I, I studied it in, in uni, but it takes a long time to explain, I guess. Going back to his initial regret after losing the money he'd borrowed from his parents to invest in options, Chan explains why he was thankful he made a decision to invest in a high-risk asset class early on in his journey. Once you lose money, then you, you learn not to go into that S asset class because there's no get-rich scheme and you got to build it, you know, and that's why I had to learn the hard lesson right early in the piece, which I'm very grateful for. Having experienced such a great loss, and furthermore, one that wasn't his, Chan explains how I was able to get himself out of that messy situation. I was still working, so I had to pay that off. I mean, 100K or uh, in US dollars is a lot of money back then. Still but, is uh, a lot of money now. <laughs> yeah, still is. And uh, I guess that's where the turning point where I go, hey, I've learned so much in private banking. I've got the, all these mentors. Why don't I still use, there's still excess equity in starting my first investment property. Despite the negative outcome that occurred from this early decision, Chan highlights that it was actually this rookie decision that led to his first investment purchase. I bought a property in St Kilda, uh, which is in a unit and even working in the banks and funny enough, you do a lot of transaction for clients. Sometimes, I don't know if you had that moment that, you know, if you're doing it for yourself, you get so nervous because it's your first transaction. But it's your career. You've been doing that with clients all the time. So uh, that's when I was signing the contract and say, is this right? You know, all the emotions going in your head, you know, am I going to do well, uh, you know, at that time? These all played out in my thoughts. And interesting enough, of course, took the courage and, and uh, you know, uh, to, to go ahead. And here's where I am today. He also shares how long it took him to recoup the money that he lost and how I was able to get into property at the same time. So lucky enough, my parents have uh, actually paid off their mortgage. So at that time, working in the bank, I accessed a, a tool called a line of credit. So it's like a big credit card, but on, on a home, right? So uh, at that time, I couldn't remember the exact figures, but it'd probably be around 300000 So in saying that, uh, I'd used 100 or lost that, right? A bit more. 
but I still had a little bit left in terms of buffer to continue to invest. So in answering your question, it was still leveraging through my parents' equity to invest in this first investment property, even though I lost money. And how this buffer meant Chan was able to invest in the St. Kilda property he mentioned earlier. That's where I invested in St. Kilda, which was uh, you know, a unit, like I mentioned. Uh, in the beginning, uh, it was uh, understanding, buying your first ones about you know, testing bo- the borders, is this right? So understanding it, you know, new things introduced to me, of course, like you know, doing your accounting, right? What is negative gearing? What is depreciation? So really understanding those concepts or the jargon. Um, and in fact, it was uh, you know, negatively geared uh, in the in the beginning, um, but you know, in the end, when I actually sold it uh, before I got married, I, I made some good you know capital gains. So, which is one of the things that you know allowed me to reallocate my capital into other investment properties. Having made enough profit to purchase his second investment, he talks a little bit about the skills he has learned along the way. I had to sell that, uh, you know, Victorian uh, property in St Kilda. Then allowed me to have deposit and capital to to venture into other investments uh, properties. And that's important skill that I had to learn as well. Because I think uh, sometimes in property investing, we we think that we got to hold it. And you know, there are some people that on one side is like, you know, hold it till the end, right? You know, never sell, right? But then you know, at the same time, if you don't there's only another way to access the equity, which is through borrowing. Uh, and if your capacity is tight, then you know the third option is probably to sell it and incur the taxes. But because there's so much gain, then I can still use that capital for other use. Looking on the flip side of things, Chan talks about the moment in his journey that cemented how much property could do for him. I have to think um, one of the aha moments, uh, I think, is um, really knowing my numbers with uh, a bookkeeper of mine, right? So, you know, there's, there's things when in my consulting uh, with clients is, do you know whether your investment property is, for example, negatively geared, neutrally geared or positively geared? Uh, and when that aha moment was understanding the optics, I was like, wow, maybe I need to do that with my own investment properties <laughs> because we could go, oh, I'm positively geared or negatively geared, but they, they say it, but you know, they don't have the numbers to prove it, if that makes sense, right? Or I just give it to my accountant and he does it and yeah, I'm, I'm making some money. So are we dwelling enough in terms of the numbers and the optics to, to make an informed decision with our investment property portfolio? So for example, let's say it's uh, negatively geared, which my St. Kilda property was, uh, then do I continue to lose money uh, or, or do I sell it? So with those optics, then I can make a more informed decision in in my investment process. So inspired by Alan Chan's amazing story so far, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory where we'll discuss his strategy. We can uh, ask the bank to borrow more money to capitalize uh, another investment property. So that's where you always started with one. And then uh, <laughs> you either use other people's money or you save up more deposit to go to the next one and subsequently you, you grow from there. The personal habits which have been contributing to his success? I am a bit more religious in terms of my calendar, what's happening in it. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. To jumpstart your week, 
Here's Mindset Monday where our real success in property isn't knowledge and skill, it's 70% psychology and mindset. Here's this week's mindset tip from wealth coach Jill McIntyre. You're a strong advocate for building and maintaining a strong team around you in property, Jill. Do you feel that many of your clients when starting off with you don't do this? Absolutely not. And um, when I first started working many years ago now, about 11 years ago with Matt Jones, um, that I think many of you will know from Brisbane Property Networking Group and Property Resource Shop. And Matt is one of those people, and I'm sure he won't mind me using this example of a person that's a good all-rounder. And Matt can do everything on a renovation um, bar the electrical work he will leave to the sparky, but I think he'd probably have a dabble there too. And then he goes home and he'd work on the website and work on starting up his networking group and all of the things that he was doing and spreading himself too thinly. We're only good at 5% of what we do. The other 95%, we need to leave it to other people that are better suited at doing whatever tasks we're doing than what we are. Stop and think. Matt could do all of those jobs, for example, but some of them would take him far longer. And I know for myself, I love back of the envelope these days, but sitting down and doing a full feasibility absolutely bores me to snores. So my, my property joint venture partner, he is excellent at the back end stuff like that. Yes, I can read them, I can understand what goes into them, but my time is better spent at the things that I'm really in my 5% zone with. So stop and think what you're good at because we need to be monetizing and maximizing that 5% so that you can then, that's your specialty area. If it's negotiating, if it's finding deals, Work on that one. Get someone else on your team that can do things that you don't like. Um, It could be something that you usually put to the bottom of the pile at the end of the week because you don't want to do it on Monday and you do it on Friday. And if that's hampering you and slowing you down, do something with your 5% and get someone to help you with the 95%. So until next time, enjoy that one too. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.